My name is Mark Madison, and I am so very proud to have Fujitsu General America as a sponsor. At Fujitsu, they're focused on partnering with the best distributors and contractors to ensure that each Fujitsu heating and cooling system brings infinite comfort to every end user. Larry Zollinger started working at an HVAC supply house in 1990 and moved over as a filter changer in PM Tech at a local school district in 1994 to 98. From there, he went to work for a service company as an HVAC tech. He started working for TD Industries in January of 1999 and moved into sales in September of 2006. We are absolutely privileged to have Larry on our show today. He's one of the finest salesmen I know. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to Mark Madison on Books and People. Today, we have a very unique guest, Mr. Larry Zollinger. Larry, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. <laughs> I was thinking, trying to remember uh, when we met. Was it 13 years ago? Uh, it was March of 2007. Wow, good memory. <laughs> you never forget the, the ones that really make an impact. And what, what was it was happening back then? I, I had just started in sales in September of 2006. And you were our sales trainer for our sales summit for all the salespeople that TD Industries had. That's right. Uh, that year in Austin. It was in Austin? Yeah, that was in the Round Rock, Austin area where we were. That's offices. right. There were about 35 people. And you yep. had just made the transition from being a technician to selling commercial service agreements. That is correct. Uh, didn't have a clue what I was really doing. You know how it is when you think you know what you're doing, and then when you actually get to do that, you think, oh, my goodness. Um, I really don't know what I need to do. <laughs> well, do you remember that you, uh, you were asked to read an ebook before the, the gathering? Yes, you had. You were so gracious to uh, send out an ebook to everybody, in hopes that everybody would read it and see if you could glean something from that before our our meeting together. And uh, I actually read it and was able to close a really big deal by using the information that you did. The story, you know, was I don't know if you want me to share the story or not. Sure. Well, the story was that it was about uh, you were trying to sell a service agreement to some pharmacies up there in Seattle, and you told them to give you the worst location. <laughs> and you ended up fixing the problem, and they gave you all this business. So I thought, well, that's, that's a great way to put it. So I actually was dealing with somebody, and I told them, give me your worst, worst problem area, and I'll, I'll see if I can take care of it. And I did, and then ended up making a $75,000 service agreement sale, you know, a month in, or, you know, shortly after that, right before that, right before we met. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was Barb Gregory, Bartell drugs. <laughs> that was great. I, I literally <laughs> remember, uh, she was really hard to see. It took me a year to get to see her. And when I finally did, she said, look, I'm just really happy with who we're using. And I said, uh, all right. I thought to myself, all right, I got nothing to lose here. Uh, I said, how do you know you're happy? She said, excuse me? I said, compared to what? Compared to whom? I said, you're not using anybody else. 
you're only using one vendor, one contractor. I said, do you think there's a chance that arrogance and complacency could creep in? If, if I know I have all 40 of your locations, I said, you know, the one thing I know for sure is if you were to give me the worst location, there, there one, there's one person who's not happy with them. And they found out that we were doing work in one location. Don't you think the quality of the service would go up in the other 39 locations? And she said, you know, there is one location. She said, <laughs> I ended up getting half. I ended up getting 20 of their stores you know, after we solved the problem with the one. So yes, I remember that like it was yesterday. And, and you know, what, what struck me, Larry, was you were hungry and you read, you read that ebook and then you practiced something, you tried something from it and made a huge sale. Yes. And, and you telling that story, you, you actually said, do you mind before we get started, do you mind if I tell you a story? And then you, you told the story about reading the ebook and then closing that deal. And I remember thinking, this guy's going places. Well, you know, the other thing. Everybody you, read it. Do you remember the other thing I told you? I'm waiting with bated breath. <laughs> you wrote in the ebook that if the nose of the camel's in the tent, the rest of it's not far behind. Yes. And that is such sage, sage advice because that's so true. Once you get the nose of the camel in the tent, man, the rest of it's coming right in. Yes. That was literally the name of the chapter. Yes. I remember. <laughs> I remember the things I write. That's right. That was great. That was so good. That was the first thing, you know, because I'd never met you before. Right. And uh, all I knew was what our sales managers, you know, he, he sent out a, a thing on you. And I thought, well, that's really cool. And I, I actually subscribed to your e-zine at that time that you had. Right. And then when I met you, I was like, man, it was like so cool. That is cool. George Athens, right? That was the yep, sales manager. Was George Athens. Oh, my gosh. 14 years ago. That's hard to believe. <laughs> yes, it is. So you're this rock star now, but how did you get started in HVAC? Um, I back, I used to be a land surveyor, funny enough. And I needed a, a steady job because the market here in Texas back in the late 80s was horrible. There was nothing consistent and being a land surveyor didn't pay the bills. And uh, Tara and I just had our first child, Kayla, and we, uh, I didn't have a job, My, I couldn't make a living. And so I actually answered an ad or better yet, my, my wife was actually working part-time with a guy that worked at an air conditioning supply house. And I went and applied to be a delivery driver just so I could have a steady paycheck. Right. And as, as time went on, I started learning a whole lot about the business. And then I started being asked to go out on side jobs with people, learning even more. And so three or four years down the road, I left that supply house and went to work in the maintenance department of a, a school district, a local school district. And mm. I, I was a filter changer and PM guy. Right. So I, I did that for three or four years. And then I uh, went to work for a service company as a service technician. <laughs> and I started that job of 19, July the 7th, 1998, 
and they closed their business on November the 1st or November the 23rd, 1998. <laughs> wow. And then I came to TD Industries as a service technician uh, in January of 1999. Okay. So service tech for eight years and then you made the transition into sales. <clears throat> yes. And what is it that makes TD Industries so unique? I mean, what are you guys, $700 million a year now in five or six states? Uh, we're actually in two states. We're in tech. We cover the state of Texas and then Arizona. That's right. Okay. <clears throat> Operations in Arizona. Um, what really, what I really love about TD Industries is our servant leadership culture. Um, nobody has a rank in a meeting room. doesn't matter if you're the CEO or who you are. Everybody's equal. Right. So you can get away with sell, telling somebody to go pound sand if that's what you want to do. You just better back it up for, for good reason. Uh, you can call anybody you want to. Uh, you can call the CEO um, and have a conversation. It's really unlike any, any other business I've ever been associated with. Right. And you guys have made the Fortune Magazine's best company to work for list like 25 years in a row, right? Yeah, we, we did it for 20, 20 years. And then we, we, we stopped doing it. And we started, we decided to use that money uh, for other things inside our company. But we still measure ourselves against that same scale. Right. But we were, we we're in the Fortune 5, the Fortune Best companies work for Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's it's an amazing company, and you know you, when you walk into your facility, you can feel a, a mindset, an attitude, a philosophy that's alive and well. Not just the things that are on the wall, which are all people focused, but uh, the way people treat each other. There's a, well, it's an attitude. It's hard to describe. It's unlike any business I've ever worked with. You got, there's a reason you have such a, a great reputation. So you, every year, you just keep getting better and better at what you do. I'm afraid to even ask you how much you sold last year because it's absurd. The last time I talked to you, I couldn't believe it. Uh, I just found out the harder I work, the luckier I get. get right? So uh, I want to say three or four years ago, you sent me an article that you had written. Essentially, it was... 20 disciplines of a successful salesperson, something along those lines. Yes. And I was going back through that uh, this afternoon and you had 20, but there were 12 that I really liked. Why don't we start with homework? Okay. Tell us, tell us what you meant by do your homework. Do your homework. Uh, I, I research possible clients or prospects that I'm going to go after. I do my homework. I, Google them. I try to find out a little bit about the person that I'm going to be meeting with. I, I do a lot of stuff behind the scenes before I even make contact with them or each, or even before I even get on site. So I know a whole lot about them. They don't know a thing about me typically. And you're armed with some information before you go in. So that changes the quality of the questions that you ask. Yes, very, very much because they realize really quick, and the conversation that they're not dealing with just uh, everyday fly-by-night salesperson. Right. Um, I usually hand them an agenda 
like I'll send them an email. If I, if I, if I'm able to get their email address, I'll send them an email with an agenda of what we're going to be speaking about once they invite me in. And then when I show up, I actually hand them the agenda. Hmm. That's so great. <laughs> you, then you said, uh, spend 80% of your time marketing and going after new business. What did you mean by that? I, I, I kind of divide up my time to where I'd spend 80% of my every day out in the field, prospecting and visiting people and getting those relationships and keeping them going. And then the other 20, 20% of the time is you're estimating and proposals. Right. But when you're doing all that stuff, you're not, you're not making any money. Actually, the money is made when you're in front of people. Right. Do you have a certain amount of phone calls you make, uh, a certain number of face-to-face meetings every week? How did... I try to have about 25 face-to-face. Uh, we, one, of the, one of my old uh, TD partners, he had a thing that, we, that I d- kind of adopted called a milk route. Hmm. And so we would put down all of the customers that you have, and then you would kind of highlight the ones that you need to go see every month, some that you need to go see every quarter, some you need to go see once a week or every other day, depending on how much they spend or how much attention they take. And so it's like really funny just to have a milk rack. You just kind of make your rounds around these people and then you pick up a few extra things, you know, when you say, hey, I don't know who that person is. So you kind of stop in and just kind of stick your head in the door and talk to people. I've never been afraid to just walk up and talk to a complete stranger. No, you're an outgoing guy, but you're also a nice guy. <laughs> One of the things you said, say in that article is never act like you need the business. What did you mean by that? Well, from what I learned, if you go into a, a meeting and the prospect senses that you really need to make a sale, mm. that's like blood in the water and they, they've got you figured out and they will write you off in a heartbeat. They can smell the desperation. Yes. And so if you go in like you really don't need anything and you just don't really, you know, you'd love to have their business, but it's not going to make or break you. It puts everybody at ease mm-hmm. and, and then they, they don't feel pressured in any way from what I've, from my experience. So it's just, yeah, just relaxed. It's and, almost an indifference to be detached. Yes, it is. It's a, that's exactly what it is. It's kind of weird. Uh, when I first kind of figured that out, I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty interesting to do. <laughs> I'm just looking at these, th- th- this list and it, one of them says smile. And it's like, come on, that's so simple. It takes 13 facial muscles to smile and 47 to frown. Evidently, some people don't mind the extra work. Well, you know, what's funny is that I actually went on a sales call with one of my other TD partners years ago, and uh, that person never smiled. And the prospect or the person we were meeting with said, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) Is he sick? He said, said, are you sick? He said, you don't look like you feel well. And I said, oh my gosh. No, he just wasn't smiling. Yeah. Well, he just, I guess he looked, had a pained look on his face. He was, he was, I think he was trying to think of what he was going to say. And 
just got to go into it like you're talking to this guy like he's your long lost friend. Right. Want to have a conversation because that's what sales is about. It's about having a conversation, just a a gentle give and take uh, on stuff. And people will they will always tell you what they need and what their problems are if you'll just ask. Right. And listen. And that's one of the other things you said in there. Listen twice as much as you talk. My friend Mark Madison taught me that. Yeah, I know that feller. <laughs> well, yesterday I, I talked to somebody that I've never done work with before, an association in California, and he's in a senior event coordinator. And I said, how did you get started in this business? Which is my favorite question, because I'm genuinely interested in how people got started doing what they do, right? Sure. But it's also the greatest opening line question that you can use. Sometimes they'll talk for 10 or 15 minutes before you ever get down to business. Because most people are proud of what they do and how they got started. So what kinds of questions do you ask? Um, basically, I start off every conversation when I walk in as, as I want to be a good steward of their time. I don't want to take up any more time than absolutely necessary uh, in our allotted 30 minutes or whatever it is that we set up. Do you uh, ask in advance, Larry, how much time do we have? Yes. I, I walk in and, and I usually set that up up front. Right. And so when I walk in, I say, do we still have a 30 minutes? Um, and they'll say, yes. Sometimes they'll say, no, I've only got, I've only got 10 minutes. So get to it. Right. And, so many times what has happened is that they've only got 10 minutes, but we start conversing and I start asking questions and listen to what they have to say. And next thing you know, it's 40, 45 minutes later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Funny how that works, isn't it? Yes. And the, the, I, you know me, but everybody else doesn't know me. I, I was born with the gift of the gab and that was, that was probably the worst advice I ever received in my life was, oh, Larry, you ought to be in sales. You have the gift of gab. And so my idea of being a salesman before I became one was you got to talk all the right. And so untrue. You need to be able to talk intelligently, but listen twice as much as you talk. And yes. I, I think Several years ago, I called you. I had a I had an hour and a half long meeting, and I didn't say ten words. <laughs> I remember. You remember that? I do. And it was like it was so. It was so amazing to me that you, I could actually do, pull that off. Well, you know, the, out of the thirty-five or forty people that were in that room, I said at the end of our time together, you know, any of you guys can call me anytime. And only you and one other person did. That was so beyond me why nobody would take advantage of that. And we've been talking four or five times a year for 13 years, 14 years. Oh, yeah, sometimes more. I know. And then when you came to Seattle, we had lunch. And when I was down there, I called you. I know I'm always astonished by that because when I first started going to hear speakers speak, I... I took advantage of that. I, I followed up with the guy and, and no one else did in that whole seminar. And I was always amazed at why they wouldn't take advantage of somebody who's done what they want to do and been where they want to go. 
Well, sure. Well, when I picked you up at three o'clock in the morning to take you to the airport. I remember that. And that's, see, that's how I met Charlie Jones. I drove him to his speaking gig. <laughs> how, how ironic. You know, I was like, how can I help you? And, I, and it always, it always gets me, Larry, when, when some young person will call, and go, I just called to pick your brain. Can I pick your brain? And I hate that phrase because what they're really saying is I'd like something for nothing. Yeah. I'd like to waste a bunch of your time and, you know, and figure out a bunch of stuff from you without giving you anything in return. And what I tell young people is ask yourself how you can serve that other person. How can you earn their time? And that's so simple because if somebody takes that approach with me, I'll spend time with them. Up well, to a point. Because you did with me. Right. But, but see, Larry, what I saw in you was the same drive, passion, and initiative that I saw in myself way back when, when I first started. So... Uh, one of the things you said in that article was never be late. What did you mean by that? The one thing that bothers, especially the type A personality people that you meet with is somebody that's not punctual. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be like really early, but you want to be early to your appointments. Yes. So when they, when they walk out of their office and say, are you Larry? Yes, I am. Great, you're on time. I hear that so many times. People say, great, you're on time. Uh, you know, the world we live in with everybody rush, 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 and nobody has time. Everybody's emailing or texting or doing stuff like that. It's amazing to me how refreshing it is for people just to sit across from each other and have a conversation. Vince Lombardi used to say, uh, if the meeting started at 8 o'clock and you weren't there by 7.45, you were late. They called it Lombardi time. Yes, that was my dad. He, uh, if you weren't 15 minutes early, at least, then you were late. And he didn't really have much patience for that. <laughs> uh, for whatever reason, I've always been that early guy. But you also say in that article to turn your phone off. Why is that important? Um, because you will have a tendency, people always do this. They have a tendency to look down at their phone and play with it. And, and if they've got a call coming in, they'll have to silence it if they don't put it on silent. And so it's just a, a distraction that you don't need. And you don't want to, you don't want to give off the impression that your phone or you're more important than the person you're sitting in front of speaking with. Right. Especially if it's the first meeting. Yes. Very especially. And so I actually, uh, I was actually with another person on a sales call once and I turned my phone off and the other person didn't and it kept buzzing kept doing stuff and he kept looking down at it and the guy across from us said is that phone more important than what we're talking about Ooh! and I thought wow and, and you know I knew it was important but until you hear somebody really call the other person out that really so yes I've actually had one person that I went into a meeting with, and he was a younger younger guy, probably in his mid-20s. He was a very successful guy. And the first thing he did when he walked in, he was on his phone. He looked over, he turned his phone off, and he put it in the drawer of his desk and closed it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that's really awesome. So it's a message. Yes. And so what's really what's really empowering 
to other people is I usually wait till I get in front of them and then I turn it off. Right. So they actually know, oh, okay. That this makes a difference. Serious. It's just the small things that you do for people like that, that actually gives them the impression that, look, this is very important. And you actually do want to be a good steward of their time. You don't want to take up too much. It still bothers me when somebody says, I have to take this call. Oh, you know, that's what voicemails for. Yes. No, I'll call them back. And we have a rule on our family when we get together with the kids and they're grown and having kids of their own now, but you have to turn your phone off. Yeah. That's family great, dinner. That's a great thing. So we one of the things you said, yeah. <laughs> well, Garrett, your son Garrett's doing what you do now as well. I think that's pretty cool. One yeah. of the things we had in common was uh, the fact that our kids played basketball. There's just so many connecting points for you and I. Um, but one of the things in the article you said was don't get too high or too low. What did you mean by that? Another thing that you taught me along with the other people like, like Jim Rohn and Brian Tracy, I've kind of melded all these people together was it's very important to celebrate your victories or your sales. Yes. And it's just as important to acknowledge your failures or your, you know, your things that you didn't sell. Right. But you don't want to be the extreme high and then the extreme low. So if you do that, you will burn out really fast. Right. So if you keep an even keel, just kind of an ebb and flow of, of acknowledging, oh man, that really, that really bums me out. I didn't get that. Or, wow, that's really exciting. I got that. I got a big commission coming. That's exciting. Don't just get over the top. And that's probably one of the hardest things for new salespeople to actually reel in because they're, they're wanting to work. They're working so hard to push, 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 push to get that first sale in the door. And then when they get it, they're like, they feel like they can jump to the moon and back. Right. (laughs) You had said never burn a bridge. Did you have to learn that the hard way? Um, no, actually, I didn't. I didn't do that. But I've seen other people do that. I, I'm the third child of four, and so I, I learned a lot from observe, observing others and how they do things. Right. And so I have seen people torch bridges with people because for one reason or another, they felt like they were done wrong. And then in, in our industries, you well know, those people float around and they end up working somewhere else. And you might need to be in business with that person. It's a small world. I've, I, have inter- I have encountered more people on a second and third time that they're at a different place of business. And if I would have been really ugly and burnt that bridge, they would have never even seen me. Right. And I've always luckily been successful at actually selling business to those people. You said, don't take it personally. What did you mean by that? Oh, sales is really funny. When, when people say no to your offer there, it's not a personal affront to you. Mm. It's just saying no to your offer. Right. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. They're not saying no to you. They're just saying no to your offer. Yeah. And so, and it may not be the last offer that may be the first of many. Right. Right. So 
you just say, oh, okay, great. Well, you know, I'm sorry it didn't work out this time, but you know, you know, there'll be another shot down the road. And if you'll have that positive outlook, uh, so I've, I've always been able to do that and just not take it personally. And I know so many salespeople, they take it so personally and you just, you just cannot do that in this business and have any longevity. Yeah. There's a, there's a phrase that I learned a long time ago. Some will, some won't. So what? Someone's waiting next. Yes. And I wrote my journal SW, 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 SW next to remember that because there's lots of prospects. There's no time to grieve. It's a lot like basketball. You turn the ball over, fine, but we're already going the other way. There's no time. To, yeah. You make a mistake in baseball and right field. You got like four innings to think about it. Yes. Right. In basketball, there's no time. No time. And it's just like sales. Well, and, and you got to, and you, you know, this just as well as I do. You actually taught me this. If, if I, um, if I get a no, I'm not depressed about it because if I get another no, that means that I'm going to be getting a bunch of yeses really soon. Yes. I learned that by reading about Babe Ruth. You know, he struck out 1,330 times, which is still a major league record. But he also hit 714 home runs. And he knew that he hit a home run and won in every 11 at-bats. <laughs> and one day in a doubleheader, he struck out eight times. And the reporter said, are you worried? He goes, nah. He said, I used to be a pitcher. I understand both sides. He said, I wouldn't want to be pitching against me tomorrow. I'm due. I'm due. <laughs> and the next day he hit two dingers and everybody forgot about the eight strikeouts. You know, the other great thing too, is that when you, when you do start getting those wins and those sales, um, the other thing that I picked up from you was go through all the other ones that are close. Yeah. <laughs> And got five that you know are getting close and just reach out to them and touch them yes. because it's a proven fact that when your energy is up for after winning a sale, you're going to close probably two or three more of those. Yes. And so it, it really, it's a domino effect. It's like the small tidal wave and it, it actually works. Do not go back and do paperwork or take the rest of the day off or, you know, Get on the phone, drive across town, send out some emails, reach out and see if you can close two or three more that day. Because what you're saying, and I really believe this, is there's a personality shift that happens when you have more confidence. Yes. You're a different person after you close a sale. That's so why dilute that, that energy, that enthusiasm? Go see some more people. Yes, go see some more people. The, the problem is that the last time this happened to me, I was actually out on the golf course with some customers. And I ended up selling a really big job. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what do I do? So I ended up finding a bathroom on, on the golf course and made a couple of phone calls. <laughs> I sold one more deal. Oh, my gosh. They go, Larry, are you coming out? You're up. You're up. Yeah, I'll be back here in just a second. So I walk out the paperwork. with the phone in my ear. Oh, my gosh. That's so great. <laughs> well, before we run out of time, because we only have a few more minutes left, let me ask you a couple more questions. Uh, this is great. You know, this is just like every conversation we've ever had for 14 years. But uh, what books have had a big impact on you? Uh, I read... 
How to win friends and influence people. Yeah. I read every book that Zig Ziglar wrote. Yeah. And I actually got to meet him and be around him uh, before he passed away. Wasn't he special? He was really great. And I love the way he would start out a sentence. It really is true. <laughs> what was really great is that he would tell you those stories that he tells people, but he would actually add more detail yes. when it was face to face. Yes. Uh, there's a there's a couple of other books that I I read early on. It was called Selling to Veto. Oh, I remember that book. Yeah, I read that. Sure. And then uh, I've read every Jeffrey Gittimer book that he's written. I just sent him a text today wishing him happy birthday. Oh, yeah, I did the same. <laughs> and That's so uh, funny. I think the first year mark in my sales, uh, you gave me so many different things. I actually read 50 books my first year in sales. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't heard anything else today, he read 50 books his first year in sales. That's one book a week. I was chewing them up. And, you know, if you don't, I don't want to embarrass you, but what's the best year you ever had selling? Uh, the best year I had, I sold 1.4 million in maintenance agreements which is unprecedented in this industry. Yeah, I, I killed it. It was like, it was before anybody really knew here at TD that you could sell across the whole state. And so I realized maybe I can reach out to this customer. And so, yeah, me and my buddy Rick Diaz, we closed that, that deal. Yeah, good old Rick. I miss that guy too. Um, who were your mentors? My mentors in sales yeah. are my number one, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, and uh, I, I could say Jeffrey Gittimer because I, I, my first year, I guess actually my second year in sales, I enrolled in a, in a class that Jim Rohn had called the, the One Year Success Plan. Yes. And uh, it was, they would send you at like a, a workbook every week and you'd fill it out. And then once a quarter, you would actually have a phone call with Jim Rohn, uh, actually Brian Tracy, Jeffrey Gittimer, uh, uh, Tony uh, Paranello, Selling DeVito guy. Yep. And you could lob questions to them and they would just answer you. See, those guys were my mentors too. Jim Rohn changed my life in 94. When I heard him speak, I bought everything he had. I spent $400 and bought his whole package and now I'm the guy selling those packages, which is kind of weird. Kevin Knebel and I were talking about that. I said, he said to me one day, he said, you realize we're those guys now. <laughs> That's right. And I went, oh, I thought it'd be left to somebody more responsible than me. But uh, <laughs> You know, the one thing that, that impacted me greatly, and it was before I got into sales, was the thing that Jim Rohn said that the same kind of wind blows on everybody, the economic wind, everything. Yes. The only thing different is how you set the sail of your life and where it's going to take you. Because in five years, we'll be the exact same person except for the books you read and the people you meet. Yeah, I've heard that before somewhere. <laughs> hey, I called this podcast Books and People for a reason. That's right. That quote, that quote changed my life. 
so what closing advice would you offer somebody who's just starting out in sales? You've been successful for a long time. Find a good mentor that will spend time with you, that won't belittle you, that's not in competition with you, and learn everything they do. Uh, Jeffrey Gittimer told me on the phone, if you'll stand on the shoulders of, gi of the giants that came before you and do what they did, you will have no problems. Yes. I agree with that 100%. It's such a simple idea, but when I look back on all the mentors that I've had, they were men and women who had done what I wanted to do and been where I wanted to go. And they saw that special something in me that maybe they saw in themselves, I'm not sure, but they took the time to spend that time. And I was constantly looking for ways to make their life easier and give something back. And because of that, you know, Charlie Jones became not just a mentor, but he published, you know, my first four books. And that literally changed my life. But I reached out to him. I just called him one day. It's amazing how simple that is. It's amazing how that works sometimes. It is. It All is they truly. can do is say no. And you're no worse off than you were before you asked. That's right. Unassertive salespeople have skinny kids. <laughs> That's so true. Do you have any questions for me? Because I've been doing all the asking. No, I have no questions for you other than just, you know, I know this this current climate that we're in, it's really made it tough on everybody. And, you know, the good salespeople are the ones that figure out a way to get it done regardless of their situations. And you're doing that, my friend. I know you are. You're out doing virtual stuff and things like that. So it's really awesome to see you flourishing in this really difficult climate, business climate that we're in. Buddy, the last two, three weeks, I've been closing stuff right and left, both virtual and live. And I, I went into a studio a few weeks ago and did a 30-minute keynote that was recorded, and they used it in a virtual meeting to end the meeting. And I tailored it to the, to the, you know, to the client, and it's a very large contractor. And, and as a result, they're having me come down uh, a couple times a year for a week to train their leaders and their salespeople. So it's, it's, it's shifting gears. You know, it's taking what we have and asking, you know, how do we how do we navigate the rapids of change? Hey, we're going to run out of time, buddy. I see the clock's ticking. So I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, my friend, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I will play the Yellow Rose of Texas this afternoon when I go for a drive. <laughs> awesome. I can't wait. And say hi to both Kayla and Garrett and your wife. Uh, you're you're a blessed man. Oh, well, thank you. I will do that for sure. Take care, buddy. Thanks a bunch. All right, goodbye. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Fujitsu General America. And like this podcast, they're focused on education and development. From the day they sold their first comfort system in North America, they've been unwavering in their focus on training. It doesn't matter if it's application, installation, or service. A better trained technician brings better value to the homeowner. So when you're looking for infinite comfort, think Fujitsu. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454, or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association, or order one of my books, simply go to my website, 
www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day, unless you have other plans.